Hey, good listener. This is Tori, one of your hosts for Wallowing in the Shallows. For various and sundry reasons, we changed the name of the podcast after we recorded this episode. You'll hear us refer to the podcast as Shallow Dive instead of Wallowing in the Shallows. We hope you enjoy the podcast in spite of our wee post-recording modification. And as they say, on with the show. Welcome to Wallowing in the Shallows, the podcast that skirts the perilous drop-off of a deep dive into television and movies. We are academic nerds aspiring to become TV and movie geeks. There are no spoiler guards in the shallows, so listen at your own risk. This week, join us for a wallow in a Good Omens Season 1 rewatch. Hey, hello peeps. Welcome to Shallow Dive. This is Tori. And this is Rebecca, and we're watching Good Omens, Season 1, Episode 1, In the Beginning. I should really say we're re-watching and yes. discussing, yes. and I'm really looking forward to it. I have to admit, while I've been watching or re-watching, it's almost like watching a new show. It's been so long since I watched it. I, there's a lot that I don't remember at all. 100% agree. And... I I did remember really enjoying it, and mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying it again. <laughs> yeah, I've been laughing. Do you know? That. Yes. Do you know the year it came out? I don't, but I think yes, you know I, we can easily find that out. Let's. Yes, I can't believe I didn't jot that down, but I knew it wasn't too long ago. But of course, when I think something was about a year or two ago, it ends up being ten. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a while ago. I mean, pre-pandemic. I pandemic, think. that's right. Yeah. So more than three. Let's see. Let's go to the good old IMDb. Yes. And see if we can... 2019. So it's been a little oh, while. Just before. Just before the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. So episode one aired on the 31st of May in 2019. Okay. Well, I'm excited to dig into it with you. Very, very fun, very clever, very witty series. Yeah. It's a brilliant cast. Oh, my God. And I yes. love the bromance between yeah. David Tennant and Michael Sheen, which I think might actually extend into real life because I think they're pretty good friends. All sorts of stuff together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By choice, it seems. Yes, and Francis McDormand does the voice of God. Oh, my gosh. What Perfect. a riot. Yeah, it's, yes. it's just yes. it's just brilliant. Agreed. And I believe written and directed, or written by Neil Gaiman. I mean, the, the, the teleplays, at least. I know the original uh, book, which I have not read, was written by him either. and Terry Pritchett. Have you read a... Uh, oh. I haven't, but that's something we should consider doing and seeing how it lines up with the series. And we're so excited about our timing here because season two is about to come out. Yes, although they might not be listening to this <laughs> uh, close to or oh. probably going to be after. Fair. Go ahead and scratch that part. <laughs> oh, I guess so. This is a. I was thinking maybe with Neil Gaiman, it might be a a graphic novel but it's not doesn't look like just a book okay gotta get it yeah i've never 
I mean, I'm more familiar with Neil Gaiman's things. I haven't read much of Terry Pratchett, although he's pretty prolific, if I remember correctly. Hmm. It it reminds me so much of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I feel like Mm. a lot, it's some of the same type of humor. Uh, Well, yeah, I didn't... uh... I, you mean the the movie Hitchhiker's Guide or the book? Well, the book. Guide. Okay, I have not the read the whole book. I've read okay. the beginning of it, but I haven't really finished it yet. <laughs> this kind of well, here's what you all think the history mm-hmm. really is, and this is what it actually is, and it's much sillier and much more random, and nobody's in control of anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, uh, those are the kinds of things that remind me of the book, Got Hitchhiker's it. Guide to the Ga- Galaxy. Oh. Well, shall I go ahead and give my little summary of this episode? Yeah, lay it on me. Okay. God herself corrects the record about when the beginning of the world happened, which she tells us is a mere 6,000 years ago. Aziraphale, I, I have trouble pronouncing that name. Yeah. Does Aziraphale sound about right? Yeah, I think that's correct. Okay. Aziraphale, the angel, and Crowley, the demon, witness the exile of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden after Crowley tempts Eve with the apple of knowledge. Jump to 11 years before the end of the world when the satanic order of the chattering nuns bungle the placement of the Antichrist baby who was meant for an American family and ends up with a British one. Crowley and Aziraphale are troubled by the impending end of the world, which will deprive them of all the earthly delights to which they have become accustomed. They team up to guide the Antichrist in his development, hoping to cancel each other's influences out so the Antichrist ends up a normal boy. Unfortunately, due to the mix-up at the convent, they mentor the wrong boy. A week before the end of the world, the hellhound is released to find its master, to protect him and stay by his side. When the hellhound does not come to the boy the angel and demon have been mentoring, they realize they have the wrong kid. The real Antichrist, Adam, names the dog right on time, and the next steps toward the end of the world proceed. Very good. It's hard, I think, to summarize these episodes. There's so much going on. Very hard. I really tried to just capture the broad strokes. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Well, let's jump right into the episode. Okay. And we are thrown so much at... At the very beginning, with God telling us all, (laughs) correcting the record, as it were, (laughs) in her punny way, which was Mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. So, we are told that all of our thoughts about how old the universe is, how old the Earth is, are completely wrong, that it According to the according to the show, according to God, I'm sorry, that Sunday, <laughs> October 21st, 4004 BC at 9.13 a.m. is when the Earth truly began. <laughs> it's funny. I had totally forgotten they mentioned Bishop James Usher because I've yes. been teaching about him for decades. <laughs> 
no way. I'd like mm-hmm. to hear more about that because I fact checked to see if this was even a real person mm-hmm. who it was and that he did make the prediction that was alluded to or the the historical mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the guess, the mm-hmm. guess at when the world began. Mm-hmm. So I'm so fascinated about in what context you teach him. Okay, I teach about it in the context of evolutionary theory, which is a historical theory. And one of the tenets of Darwin's theory of evolution is that change happens over long periods of time, which was quite contrary to what most people thought the age of the earth was. Mm-hmm. Because in Europe at this time, of course, Christianity is the dominant way people think, right? It conditioned how people understood everything going on around them. And so I talk about how people had calculated the age of the earth using the begats in the Bible, and that's what Usher does. And so that's how Usher comes into it. And of course, according to this show, I would have been teaching it wrong because I always go with the original 9 a.m. that Usher said. (laughs) Uh-huh. 15 minutes off there. I might have to start correcting myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. 13, 13 minutes. So that's how I teach Usher. And that's why it's wow. kind of pertinent to to the topic that I teach. That is fantastic. <laughs> and fossils are a joke that haven't been, hasn't been figured out. Mm-hmm. And now what, what is your understanding about what is used to actually give a length of time the earth has been around. I mean, what are they measuring? Yes. How do they, how do they really in the real world, how this theory that the earth is for about four and a half billion years old is determined. I not totally sure how, Oh, you said age of earth, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Age of I earth. I was thinking age of universe and I was like, No, we're not going to we're not going to go there. Okay. Well, the age of earth was calculated, I believe it was in the 1940s by a scientist by the name of Claire Patterson, and he used lead isotope data. Okay, from a meteorite So that's how he calculated the age of Earth. He's also the guy that is responsible for identifying how bad lead could be and like, and so why we don't have lead paints anymore and things like that. Mm, And that all came out of his work. Um, So yeah, that's how he does it. Because in general, right, and correct me if this is no longer relevant, but that Mm -hmm. radiocarbon dating is is often used to determine how old a living thing is if you have some living things remain remains yeah radiocarbon dating only works on organic remains but it has a limited range so regular radiocarbon dating is accurate up to about fifty thousand years ago if you do accelerated mass spectrometry then you can extend that to about seventy five thousand years ago And if you're going to go on something older than that, then you have to use a different type of dating technique. Okay. 
Okay. Because my limited understanding of radiocarbon dating is it is dependent upon, because we all have some amount of carbon-14 that is that gets maintained in our bodies. Right. And as soon as we die, then it begins, it's no longer replenished or kept up. It de- it begins to decay away. Correct. Correct. And that amount that's in living things is dependent upon the environment in which we live that Correct. has changed over the eons, you know, the chemical makeup of, of everything. And I think that is part of the unknown factor, the plus or minus that gets added in. Yes, but, that's why there is the plus or minus. Yeah, yeah. And so when she talks about this joke not figured out yet, I wondered if it was some kind of thing that there was that perhaps there was a drastic difference, right? That completely screws up <laughs> radiocarbon dating because carbon fourteen was completely different in that time or whatever. So any, well, any anyway. Not the dating technique used in paleontology because it doesn't go back far enough. Oh. They're usually using things like uranium decay okay. or they will do potassium argon dating. Okay. Things like that. Because those can In- go way back. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Are are they still now, are those two requiring a living thing as well, similar to the radiocarbon dating, or not so much? No, no. It's actually okay. so with potassium argon dating, what it does is measures basically it's from volcanic ash for potassium argon dating and is measuring the decay of potassium and argon gas um it doesn't date the fossil itself it will date like the the layer of volcanic ash that was deposited above it and the layer of volcanic ash that was deposited below it and so if the fossil's in between it then it has to be between those two ages wow that's amazing um, there is a fission tracking that they can use to date the fossils themselves, but I think it, if I'm remembering correctly, it, it destroys the fossils. So people aren't really keen on using it, <laughs> particularly such, you know, fossils are are difficult to find. Yes. Um, but yeah, so potassium argon, I think, is one that's used the most in at least paleoanthropology. I'm not sure about paleontology, but I assume okay. it's, it's similar. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank sure. you. A little sure. Bit of food for thought for me, not my field. <laughs> Listeners are probably like, get what? on with it. What the heck? Okay. So God <laughs> tells us she plays poker in the dark for infinite stakes the, with a dealer that won't tell you the rules and smiles all the time. Loved that and mm-hmm. loved the allusion to God does not play dice, mm-hmm. which that, of course, Bring some bells with me as being credited to Einstein. It's it's translated oh. from something he said in German, but I think the original translation, it, you know, God does not play dice is a little bit of a simplification that he said something more in the lines of I at any rate am convinced that God does not throw dice. So, oh wow, and interesting that a lot of things sort of get sort of thrown at Einstein as to what this means and that kind of thing. But my understanding was, you know, Einstein, who was, of course, very significant in moving 
thought forward scientifically with yeah. relativity yeah. was right at this point when they were also beginning to introduce quantum mechanics and quantum mechanics, which helps us describe and understand the very, very small, and by very, very small, I'm talking subatomic type levels, is so much different than the physics that we use to explain our scale and throwing a ball and launching a rocket and all okay. of this kind of stuff. It's very, very different. And an incredibly important piece of quantum mechanics is probability. And that is where the dice come in. And so this is oh. what Einstein was was talking against was, no, 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 it, sh it shouldn't be based on randomness. You know, there shouldn't be, oh. you know, you have cause, effect, all of, you know, it, not, not a random chance. Now, what is kind of interesting is people also think that because he used the word God, that Einstein was religious. This mm -hmm. is not the case. It was more, he was using God more metaphorically as sort of this forces of the universe kind of Wonder. thing. So anyway, cool. Well, I was just wondering why he was so against randomness. Well, scientists wanted to wrap everything up in a nice little bow. Right. And there is this desire, this or belief, if you will, that all scales mm -hmm. and all physics principles should be able to tie be tied up in one grand theory. So instead of having electricity and magnetism, you know, sort of these different rules for different situations, that there's mm -hmm. some sort of grand unified theory that works mm -hmm. for absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And that has not been found. Mm. And I think it really bothered, it may have almost been an OCD, I, this is totally me talking, not okay. actual fact. Okay. It may have sort of bothered Einstein that this was so different and from everything else, all of the other physics, and how could this possibly fit in? And mm. so that that is what that is what I think. But Okay. He, there were plenty, and quantum mechanics is taught and is accepted as the current theory, and so it wasn't all scientists that were troubled by probability being a piece of it. Got and it. I wonder, uh, were you at all going to connect it to evolution? Well, that's what I was thinking. Evolution, of right, right? Well, and there is this, there is a random part of evolution, but even that is kind of conditioned by the environment, right? That the organism is in. So it's random yet not random. Right. So Right. Right. Okay. So very um, cool. So we'll yeah. we can move on yeah. from the science stuff, but it was just very hard for me to move on because <laughs> it God was just laying down all sorts of things that <laughs> I wanted to investigate further. And so we'll move we'll move from science to a horoscope. That we learn that Earth is a Libra, Earth and a we Libra. get we get her horoscope on the day. Now, let me ask you a question: Do you think the horoscope is for the day the Antichrist came? No, I think it's for that twenty first of October date. The beginning. Well, I thought she said, but first we must go much earlier. 
to well, all the way to the beginning. So I thought the horoscope was actually for the first day of kind of when the story begins, not the whole history of the earth, but either the day the Antichrist was delivered or the day that they're kind of counting down to the last day. So like a week before. Do we know the exact day that the Antichrist is born? I don't it, have it, only, it just says it it just says 11 years ago and that's a really good point so maybe it, it but it was just interesting that she said that everything about the horoscope was completely accurate except the salad yes and so i was wondering if we could connect pieces of it to what actually happened but it's going to be tricky if we don't know which of the days we're actually talking about. <laughs> right. I might have to go back and, and watch that again. Well, yeah, I didn't even question it. When she said Earth is a Libra, that totally made sense to me because October 21st, while at the kind of end of the uh, month for Libra, is Libra. I agree, but the horoscope doesn't have to be for the day of Earth's birth. Right. I mean, oh, you can have yeah. your horoscope okay. read any old day of the year. You just okay. need to know you're a Libra. Right. Okay. And it and said I was it was from about this general characteristics of Libra and not like a specific day's horoscope. But I see what you're talking about. Ah, so with this horoscope, we hear that you may be feeling run down always in the same daily round. That made more sense to me that the earth had been around for a while. Right. And it was a clever little pun about always in the same daily round. A friend is important to you. You may get a stomach upset <laughs> and help could come from an unexpected quarter. So I am going to posit that the horoscope is for a much more modern time. And I'm even maybe guessing it's this last week of existence, but I'll have to I'll have to rewatch that little bit. Well, I guess when I heard that horoscope itself, I was attaching that to at that point Crowley and Aziraphale. Mm -hmm. And and that's the further that's all I thought about that. I was like, oh yeah, because those two are going to get are going to help each other, right? And that's not a angel and demon thing is not supposed to happen. And so that's where my thoughts went with that horoscope. I very quickly moved off of it being specific to earth or anything. Yeah. Well, and it may there may be nothing to it, but I mm -hmm. do think it was the horoscope for the earth. And I think that you may be feeling run down always in the same daily round. I think mm -hmm. I think that's definitely about the uh, earth yeah that makes sense i don't know how the earth could get a stomach upset or why it would be eating salad so <laughs> but the salad is the one part that god said was not accurate yeah so. yeah that's true hmm I don't think about well that we can go ahead more. and move we can go ahead and move on from the horoscope and perhaps i'll watch that little intro again and see if i can nail down a little better when well, the horoscope was from i mean i doubt that it's just a random thing they throw in there because i don't think you know gaiman does anything randomly i think he's you know super deliberate agreed about his writing I, so i think i think so too and just like you were saying i mean i i definitely think uh Zirafel? Zirafel, yeah. <laughs> and crawley are part of this horoscope and it's their relation to the earth with the help could come from an unexpected quarter 
Um, a friend is important to you. I, I, I definitely think they're in the horoscope, even if the horoscope isn't for them. Okay. That's okay. my theory. So they're That's my theory. trying to help Earth by yes. preventing Armageddon. Got it. Yes. Okay. Okay. That makes sense to me. Okay. So we can go ahead and proceed and maybe I'll bring it back if it does seem appropriate. Right. So we're up to the Garden of Eden now. Yes, we are. Does it look like a red delicious apple to you? I think that is right on target. And I got to say, I really liked the CGI or whatever happened. I liked Crawley coming out of the earth as a snake oh, when he later turns into a person. That Maybe those aren't perfect, but I, I was like, that is, I am delighted by this. That transition was beautiful. Yeah. Because I definitely made Nort, Nort note of that. Yes. Um, yeah. That was great. That was great. And the snake eyes. It's so hard to look at the oh snake my gosh. eyes. But it's I like good how he's they always take... wearing sunglasses. Yes. Thank goodness. But I do like how David Tennant kind of keeps the liquidy snake movement throughout mm -hmm. the whole series, right? He's very kind of loose and languid in his movements. Yes. That walk. Yes. And can I just say, I am so pleased that they made Adam and Eve with highly pigmented skin. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. I, it makes me very, very, very happy. I did go Agreed. down a little bit of a rabbit hole. <laughs> Take us with you. When about the location of the Garden of Eden... Because it was just all surrounded by desert in this show, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Absolutely. In fact, totally walled off from right. the desert outside. Yeah. Right. But the biblical description of that is that there are actually four rivers that come out. It says, and a river went out of Eden and... Thence it parted and became four heads. So there should be water around there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I think that two of the rivers were the Tigris and the Euphrates, which kind of makes sense. And the other ones, uh, they're not quite as sure. Some people have said one was the Nile, and other people said that's the Ga uh, the fourth one is the Ganges, which is like India Pakistan area. Mm -hmm. I thought that's a weird geographic range and the Nile, the headwaters of the Nile isn't anywhere near those other three rivers. So I just thought it was interesting. I was on IFL Science and reading an article there about the location of the Garden of Eden. And they think it was somewhere in ancient Mesopotamia, but they also mentioned Cush, which I pretty sure is africa i don't know it was all very very confusing and of course on ifl science they're like oh we shouldn't even be looking in the middle east anyways if we're look because we need to look at the evidence and the evidence says it should be africa so we should be looking for the garden of eden in either southern africa or ethiopia hmm. so 
that was a little bit of the rabbit hole I went down. Love it. Love it. Well, when you look at how the show displays it, mm-hmm. you think, how are these two possibly going to survive? I guess their first meal is a lion <laughs> that they slay. But it just looks like there is no water. Right. They're wearing their little leaf outfits to cover mm-hmm. their nakedness now that mm-hmm. they know the difference between good and evil. Mm-hmm. And things do not seem to bode well for this man and his pregnant wife, who is already quite far along seven days after <laughs> the yes. creation of yes. the earth. But it's it, uh, there, it was this beautiful stark contrast between Eden and being, whatever, bathed in God's love and then right. being sent away but right. it just looked like the sent away was meant imminent death right i think that's probably why they went with the more stark contrast mm-hmm. although the lion in the desert thing didn't work for me either <laughs> right yeah fair fair <laughs> and they and adam was lucky that aziraphale <laughs> gave him his sword Yes. This flaming sword. I love yes. I just love it. Crawley's like, didn't you have a sword like all flaming and stuff? <laughs> yeah, the flaming sword. Sword. They're so great together. They are they so are. great together. Yes. Their interaction. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that really kind of anchors the whole series. Yeah. Is their interaction. And we see, and it's confirmed, and I'm afraid. I'm not sure if it's this episode or the next episode, <laughs> that Crawley is not the root of all evil. It's like <laughs> he he got in with a bad crowd, right? It's mm-hmm. it's he's not the prince of darkness himself. He's right. one of these demons. Mm-hmm. And he's a bit of a philosopher as well. I love their conversation and him saying, What if I did the good thing by bestowing this knowledge on Adam and Eve and you did the bad thing, right? And and right. just sort of Putting forth where where Aziraphale really toes the party line of the ineffable plan, Crawley's like the questioner and right. not 100% good, not 100% evil, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more of an agent of chaos, probably. Yeah. Uh, just really, really intriguing. Well, he's always kind of throwing the temptation out there, right? Yes. And even if it's just to get somebody to think in a little bit of a different way or to do something which doesn't seem you know a terrible thing but it maybe isn't what they really should do not no really big actions or thoughts that people would immediately that are good right like the angel Azarafel would go oh no 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 but she does do right when he's like you should kill the kid <laughs> right and now there's a real like no 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 no. so most of the time he's real subtle in in his temptations so which but is even, why i think he sucks aziraphale in so easily yes. yes but even then even with the proposition to uh-huh. kill the child which would right. have been the wrong child anyway so it right. would have been terrible it goes back to that kind of idea of also well would you kill hitler as a child Right. This mm-hmm. sort of do the ends justify the means? Right. If, if you know this is coming, mm-hmm. is this terrible thing, taking the life of a child, actually a good thing because you would be saving the entire planet Earth? So right. I still, it, I do agree that Crowley totally deals in temptation, mm-hmm. but there is also a, it's not all bad. Right. 
Right. It's 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 not all bad. It is complicated. It is complicated. That's how that's how I'll leave it. He's complicated. Well, sure. And I and I think that morality is complicated. Yes. Because I don't think things are necessarily black and white, right? Mm-hmm. There's always, and I think that's one of the things this show explores is, of course, morality. Anything that's going to have religious connotations is going to be exploring some morality. Yes. So, and I had never before made as many connections. I, I, I get a real Loki feel from Crowley, huh? As well, a real, a real trickster, <laughs> troublemaker, but especially as Loki has been developing in the Marvel universe, not all bad. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. So anyway, that's another right. thing I was thinking. And I don't remember how this series ends. Right. At the end of season one. So I'm really interested to see how, I guess I'll start calling him Crowley now because he didn't like the Crawley aspects. Right. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with Crowley and Aziraphale. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, I don't remember how it ends. Me either. Hmm. And the last, oh my gosh, we haven't even gotten to the opening credits. But (laughs) (laughs) Agnes, I did look up Agnes Nutter. Yeah, I did Did you look into that at all? I did, I did. Yeah, a real witch, or at least a real woman executed for being a witch. Who was actually Alice Nutter, I believe. Oh, yes, Alice Nutter. And they, and that was during the 16th century witch trials in Lancashire. Yep, the, the Pendle witch trials. Pendle witch trials. Very much like what was happening in Salem, right? She was a widow. She was rich. It was probably a ploy by somebody to try to get a hold of her, her wealth, I'm sure. And thinking she was an old widow, nobody would be able to stand up for her. Mm-hmm. Because I believe, I, I know in Salem, people could then just confiscate the accused goods. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So craziness there. But yeah. So Alice Nutter, right? Correct. I forgot they did change the first name, but. Yeah. Yeah. And we learn much more about Agnes Nutter or, uh, Next episode. <laughs> yes. Yes. Did you happen to look up to see, because I looked up to see if there or if there was a demon named Crowley or if they just went with Crowley because he was going to be the snake or I was wondering if they uh, named him after Alistair Crowley, who was an occultist, but I did not look up Aziraphale for some reason. Did you look that up? Does I looked like a, an angel that's been named. I looked up Aziraphale. And as far as I could find, that name is made up. Okay. Many of the other angels, right, that right. we get introduced to throughout are are in the lore. Yes. <laughs> but uh, Aziraphale, as far as I could find, is a name made up okay. for the show. Okay, cool. So do we want to say anything about those opening credits? Brilliant. Yes. So fun. And I love the music. It's just perfect. Yes. And we see, I mean, a couple of things that I just noted through the progression is we definitely see the 
tree of Li- tree of life, the apple mm-hmm. in the tree. Mm-hmm. I believe we also see Noah's Ark. We do see Noah's Ark. Yes, we see One- the hellhound. Oh, I missed that. I need to a little slow more sound and and look at it more closely. Yes, you know we could maybe save that for a bit of a deep dive, maybe toward the end of the series. Yeah, when that good. maybe there are some other things that are dropped in mm-hmm. that we it'll, wouldn't really notice yet. It'll be interesting to see if they change up those opening credits with the new season based on whatever the new storyline is going to be. Agreed. Agreed. Cool. Yeah, okay. I love the opening credits, but let's uh, move on We're to what okay. God is telling us it wasn't a dark and stormy night, which I thought was <laughs> so funny. <laughs> love it. More, more, again, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy feel to me. Like, <laughs> this is what everybody says it was, and this is what is the, the dark and stormy night, what that evokes. Mm-hmm. And nope, all crap. This is what it actually was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did... <laughs> Again, do a little bit of a rabbit hole with the names of the Dukes of Hell. Oh, I'm so glad you did. I did not go after Haster and Liger or whatever. All right. Well, I didn't find much on Liger beyond that it was a, a Roman cognomen. Do you know what a cognomen mm. is? I don't. It's the last name. They could have just said a Roman surname. Oh, okay. But a cognomen is specifically like a third kind of name. So there would have been one, two, three names and the last one is the cognomen surname okay so it could have been that it's also in a scientific kind of way close to the um genus for shrimp (laughs) oh which made me think about his makeup and stuff but I never went back and really looked closely to see if there were any shrimpy-like things in his uh, his costuming and makeup. Oh, God, but the Haster, thing that... Haster was yes. interesting. That name originally was in Ambrose Bierce's short story called Haita the Shepherd. Oh. Which was then picked up by Robert Chambers for his horror book called The King in Yellow. That was in 1895. And then became a fictional deity in the, I'm going to say this wrong. I can say it when I'm not recording Cthulhu's mythology, Lovecraft. Oh my gosh. Yes. Love a connection to to Lovecraft country. Well, I think there's a couple <laughs> of different Lovecraft references in the in the show. Oh, I believe it. So that's what I found about those. Okay. Well, the creepy thing about Liger are those little hands on his head. Oh, my God. That sometimes move. And they seem to be a bit like the end of snakes that are curled around his head from the back. Or little shrimpy things that are in front, you know, and they use to sense stuff. Mm. Now I want to. Interesting. Anyway, when I said that I was like, oh, maybe that's it. Creepy, creepy makeup with Haster's like pure black eyes and yes. bad complexion. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to pay more attention now to his uh to his makeup. 
Oh, they are creepy. You yeah. didn't you didn't pick up on the hands? I did not pick up on the hands. It's a little tough because they're dark and against his skin. It's it's a little subtle in some lights and then in others you can see them a little more clearly. Huh. Yeah, I'll yeah. have to look at that again. Okay. <laughs> they're bragging about what they've done and who they're turning over to Satan and Crowley's brought down the phone network, which ends up burning him in the butt a little later when he's trying to make a call. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love that scene later, right? When he's like, oh, I forgot. Yeah. (laughs) The phone network. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. And he's, Crowley's like, yeah, I'm going to be a glorious tool. <laughs> that was I mean just just such clever writing and uh-huh. the delivery the delivery uh-huh. is elevates it, right? I, I Already good to begin with. Yeah, I guess if you're gonna be a tool, you should be a glorious, a glorious one. <laughs> and did you did you when when Crowley says chow, yes. did you catch the demon's response to that? Yeah, it's Italian for food. <laughs> Yes. And I was like, that's not right. It's not Italian for food. It's like goodbye or whatever. And then I was like, oh my gosh, but ciao. Yeah. In English. Right. <laughs> totally is. <laughs> Which is connected then to one of the four horsemen. Famine. Right. Ciao mm-hmm. is the name mm-hmm. of that thing that they're trying to peddle. Mm-hmm. Or the, the food substitute. <laughs> awesome. Now that's jumping ahead. Yep. Sorry. That's not episode one. But yeah, oops, sorry. Nice, nice, nice. But just we're trying to only spoil episode one in this. <laughs> so, so strike it from the record. Forget everything you've heard about, <laughs> about Maybe, horsemen. Uh, yeah, oh, sorry. Minor. Yeah. Minor. Yeah. Minor. <laughs> so, and I love. Probably gets, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say I love the use of Queen music throughout this. Yes episode starting with agreed rhapsody agreed which is a good song i mean number one it's a good song it's you know the big i mean everybody knows bohemian rhapsody well not everybody because there's a lot of reaction videos on youtube (laughs) that show there are people that hadn't heard of bohemian rhapsody but great anthem to rock out to and appropriate for a demon Mm mm-hmm because they, I mean, they mentioned Beelzebub. And Beelzebub. And it's about possible suicide and killing a man. And anyways, mm-hmm. I do Excellent. like the queen. Agreed. And Crawley, characteristically, is listening to the fun part. Yes. <laughs> well, one of the fun parts, anyway. <laughs> I was going to say that whole song is fun. It's true. It's tr- well the the part about parts. kill the part the part about killed man is yeah. less fun. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have Zirafel eating sushi, speaking a little Japanese with mm-hmm. the, which I did not look up, but I assume was correctly spoken. I don't remember. I don't know much Japanese. I know like he at least said thank Ohio. you correctly. Ah, uh, I know Ohio gozaimasu. <laughs> Oh, and that's I don't. It. I'm like that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, then we, we get the introduction of the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel, a John real Ham. angel. Yeah, at least according to the lore. Yes, I think he does a great job in this mm-hmm. role. 
And one of the people that David Tennant interviews for his podcast just listened to it yesterday. (laughs) I'm still going to have to get on that. Oh, you definitely do. I love the Gabriel. I mean, in in regular cases, not just this episode, but we'll just talk about it in this episode. His, whereas Aziraphale and Crawley are totally entrenched in Earth and all of its trappings. Mm -hmm. Gabriel is still, he's he's awkward, right? He doesn't fit in. He doesn't understand what it means to be human or anything like that. He's like, I do not sully the body with the food, (laughs) my celestial body, but he likes the clothes, right? And so, and there are more occasions coming up that Mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, yeah, you really, you really don't get it. You haven't Mm -hmm. been here 6,000 years the way the other two have. Exactly. Exactly. I love the line. And I'm, I don't remember if it's him that says it or the other, oh no, it must be him. Because this is the Japanese restaurant and not Aziraphale's shop when the other guy shows up. Yes. Too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Gabriel's like, we have reliable information that things, and then there's, I think, other things that he says, but he goes, are afoot. <laughs> yes. Yes. I just, I, anytime you can use afoot. Afoot. The game's good. afoot. The game is afoot. <laughs> so shall we move on yeah. to the great baby swap? That's a great way to put it. (laughs) This bit was a little reminiscent of Monty Python to me. I don't know if it was because of the nuns or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I kind of got some Monty Python vibes. But my first question for you, this is not a trivia question, but did, did Deirdre Young look familiar to you? She did. And so I looked that actress up, and uh-huh. she was in Sherlock. Okay. Which I think is where I recognized her from. Okay. Well, true. She was also in House of the Dragon. She was. only briefly. And why I think this is so significant is she played Viserys's first wife, Emma. The one, uh, spoilers for House of the Dragon, so close your ears if if you haven't seen it. She is the one that dies in childbirth. Oh. Horrifically. And I was like, oh my gosh. And here, this woman's role here (laughs) is to also have a baby. (laughs) And I was about to say, with much less dire consequences, but she ends up with... With the going home with the Antichrist himself, so so in both cases, this actor ends up having sort of dire results after having a baby on screen. So that I just thought was was interesting that she's she played both those roles. Oh, funny! Yeah, I didn't recognize her from Hot D. Yep, yep. Huh. I love the nuns, <laughs> the chattering oh, order of St. Beryl. <laughs> amazing. And countered countered with in actual religious orders, some of them taking vows of silence. silence and I yes. think it, that it was just so perfect that this order of Satan's nuns is just this polar opposite. Yeah. And with Sister Loquacious and oh Sister gosh. Verbose. And I learned a new word, Sister Prolix. 
Are you familiar with the word prolix? No. Speech or writing containing too many words. <laughs> and that was one of the, that, those were the three sisters' last names. They had first names as well that, right. seemed, that sounded kind of holy, like Mary. Right. But those right. last names that we heard were all related to speaking too much. Well, I think later we find out that Sister Teresa... Yes. Hers is loquacious. Hers is loquacious. That's no, that's her. Sister Mary loquacious. <gasps> oh, thank you. I'm sorry. Sister Teresa is the one that actually, um, like Sister Mary loquacious rolls the baby into the the down, downlings. Yes. And takes out their baby and un- unwittingly leaves behind the Antichrist. Yes. And, but Sister Teresa is the one that takes the Dowling's baby out of the room. Okay. And gives the Dowling baby to the American ambassador's wife. Okay. Hers. The Americans the Americans are the Dowlings. The Brits are the Youngs. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. So flip that around what I was just saying. But, right. you know, she was always arguing and yes. kind of argumentative with people. And her, I was listening really carefully and we find out her full name is Sister Teresa Garrelis. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Garrulous works. Garrulous mm-hmm. works as well. Mm-hmm. I just love the nuns. <laughs> love I it. I really like the actress that plays Sister Mary Loquacious. I've seen her in things like Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought she was really good there. So it, it made me kind of happy to, to see her. And I recognized the woman playing Mother Superior, but I forgot to look up. The actress, because I couldn't remember what I saw her in. Yeah, I did not. I didn't look that up. And a beautiful love, love the Nick Offerman cameo here. Oh, God. Yeah. I just love Nick Offerman. Do you think, do you think the president is a bit of a nod to George W. Bush? That That's what I was thinking. About right, right before Mm -hmm. Obama. Mm hmm. 11 years before whatever you said, 2019. Yeah. So, yeah, I think so. And I I think you have to be right. Well, it certainly wasn't Obama. (laughs) Right. And I thought, well, of course, they're going to give the Antichrist to (laughs) (laughs) even if it wasn't going to the president exactly, but the ambassador. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Of course, America is going to be the ruin and the thing that brings on the Armageddon. But it there's a mistake. There's a mistake. So even though the child is destined to go to the Dowlings, mm-hmm. he ends up with the innocuous British family, the Youngs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. And we call them we call them biscuits too. I call them biscuits too. I mean, <laughs> Sister Loquacious just is completely not getting the fact that these are not Americans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he never says a lot to so that she could pick up on his British accent. I didn't he think he like really. He doesn't have like super long dialogue, no. but biscuits should have been a, a bit of a clue. clue. Yes. And when she was like, where were you before this appointment? And he gave some other British town. <laughs> yes. What was it? Swindon. <laughs> Swindon. Right. 
Good catch. <laughs> okay, so room four with the Dowlings, who are meant to have the Antichrist, end up with the Young's child. Mm-hmm. And the Young's in room three end up with the Antichrist. Destroyer of kings, angel of the bottomless pit, prince of this world, lord of darkness, which gets said on multiple occasions. Yes, yes. And when they're encouraging them with their namings and Damien, Kane. I had to laugh. I couldn't believe that the Americans rolled with Warlock, but. Yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. Yes, yes. I did look up a little bit of, you know, Mother Superior says it's Old English, which it is. And it meant traitor, liar, enemy, oath breaker. And that was around AD 1000. And then around A.D. 1300, it means one in league with the devil. And then, of course, becomes associated with males uh, accused of witchcraft in the 1560s. Very cool. Digging up that etymology or history of that word. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the one thing I meant to mention when we first started talking about the nuns, I wanted to know if there really was a St. Beryl. Yes. Did you look at this up at all? I did not. Okay. So there isn't really, but Dudley Moore (gasps) and another comedian named Peter Cook, who I was not familiar with, I think they were in Australia and there's a, I don't know if it's a school named St. Barrels or something like that, but they visited there. And after they were visiting there, they came up with this comedy skit. Mm. And it's based on the Order of St. Beryl and their leaping nuns. They, oh, my gosh. The, the Peter Cook character is like, we're leaping here, leaping there, leaping, leaping everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because the place is overrun with snakes and they're not allowed to kill anything. So they're just leaping over the snakes. Oh, my gosh. I was watching it on YouTube. It's actually quite funny. <laughs> I haven't thought of Dudley Moore in a very long time. Yeah. I mean, why would I think <laughs> I think my only my only connection to Beryl is the is the stone, right? Isn't it a isn't it a jewelry kind of thing? Maybe uh, even a maybe even a birthstone. Let me hmm. look that up. Beryl birthstone. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, emeralds are perhaps the most widely known variety of barrel. Huh. So, barrel is a broader category that includes emeralds, which definitely is a birthstone. Yes. Interesting. All these little things in this episode. Oh, my gosh. So many things. We'll be talking two hours from now. Oh, Oh, I know. Did you catch that? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so shall we move on to St. James Park? Anything else you want to say about the great baby switch? No, but I did like the analogy to three-card Monty. (laughs) Oh, loved it. Yes. But I wish we knew what happened to baby number three. Baby B, the Mm -hmm. American. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Me too. Yeah. I do like- But maybe he does deal in tropical fish. Perhaps, perhaps. Keep like- uh, keep an eye out for a tropical fish dealer for the rest of the episode of the rest of the season. 
Yeah, no, I do like when Sister Mary Loquacia says, do you think he'll remember me when he grows up? And Crowley's like, pray that he doesn't. <laughs> yep. So anyways, okay. Uh, but yep. here I'm going to throw in my trivia question real quick. Okay. It's not a very good one. I apologize. All right. So we're in room three, right? So we're in the Young's room. We got both babies in there. Yes. And what were the color of the blankets that the babies had over them? Okay. So that I, I know that our little Prince of Darknesses was a reddish. I yes. You could tell me it's some other hue, but it was definitely red. Yes. And then the other babies was was a very innocuous pastel. I'm going to go with blue, but I'm not positive about that. It's blue. Okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah, nice. it's it's a lame trivia question. <laughs> hey, no, my mine's not too great either. But uh, I was glad I was able to to get that one. Woo-hoo! All right. Okay. Moving on. So we move to St. James Park for the little meetup between mm-hmm. our angel and demon, which I like to call them that. And I think it's cool that hell has all the great composers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know much about all their lives, but <laughs> I'm just imagining them having a good time down there. Yeah. Though, yeah. when we do go down there, it does not look very pleasant. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It does not at all. But that's getting a little ahead of things. Mm-hmm. You can already see that Crowley, Crowley is working to get his way, right? right. He's already trying to lay the groundwork that Aziraphale is, even if it's God's plan, is not going to like the end of the world. Right. <laughs> he loves the world too much. Right. I mean, Aziraphale is all about his gastronomical delicacies. <laughs> 100%, which is how Crowley gets him to talk a little more. Mm-hmm. Says, I owe you after that thing in 1793, the reign of terror, <laughs> <laughs> part of the French Re- Revolution. And then they head to lunch, but not before perhaps my favorite line of the episode. Get thee behind me, foul fiend. After you. Yes. Which is Zerafel says, which is a lovely nod to the get behind me Satan that Christ says in the Bible. Yeah. And get behind me, Falfeed. After you. (laughs) At first, I was like, oh, I know that line. Is that Shakespeare? And then I was like, later, I'm like, oh, no, that's the Bible, Tori. Come on. (laughs) Which are the top two sources for for popular phrases in the English language? (laughs) The Bible and Shakespeare. I think the Bible is number one, but Shakespeare is right up there. (laughs) And I I liked that talking about uh, hell might be having to listen to the sound of music for eternity. Yes. Yes, heaven might not be the heaven it's cracked up to be if you've got to listen to Sound of Music constantly, which gets reaffirmed shortly when we actually are up there and some lines are quoted. I so took umbrage with that because I like the Sound oh, of Music. I'm the only person that likes the Sound of Music. And I think I've told this to you before that I realized I was heterosexual when I first saw of Captain Von Tropp and his little <laughs> traveling clothes. 
Well, I can see why you're attached. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, come on. (laughs) But really, any one movie or one music production or any of that, you don't want that to be the only thing for the. A little diversity is good, right? Yeah. So Crowley is working his magic, trying to get some empathy for the intelligent creatures of the ocean that will be boiled into bulibas, bulibas, <laughs> bulibas. which they can't quite get out. And apparently neither can I. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we've, it, I, it was funny how they put the wine back in the bottle bottles, oh, yes. but still had a bit of an aftertaste. <laughs> yeah. Is this a scene where Crow- Crowley's like, see a while you thwart? <laughs> Did you catch that? I don't know. <laughs> I think they're talking, you know, like, Aziraphale, of course, balking at doing anything. And he's like, it's supposed to thwart evil or something like that. And he's like, well, you oh, yes. see a-, a while, then you thwart. <laughs> <laughs> or some- I can't remember the whole context, but I just thought that was really, really funny. I do, rem- I do remember a thwart. I remember that, but I'm not remembering <laughs> this in as much detail. Well, I think it's right... When Aziraphale finally agrees to oversee the Antichrist upbringing. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. they'll kind of like cancel each other out. And so hopefully yes. it'll be normal. <laughs> yes. Which yes. based on, well, I don't want to spoil. I'll shut okay. up. I'll save it. Okay. <laughs> so we have our evil Lord Haster who takes out one nun for sure mm-hmm. and then burns the whole satanic convent and it is kind of tough if your if your whole order's reason for being was to facilitate this process of placing the antichrist what do you do after of course yeah. they've only got 7 more days anyway <laughs> yeah no 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 not 7 more days the kids got to grow up they've got 11 years in 7 days yes 11 oh, years in 7 times. days yeah we then go back to Aziraphale and Crawley, and this is another little repartee that I like. Well, I'll be damned. It's not that bad when you get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the scene with the the sea a while you thwart. Okay. I might have okay. got I was a little out of order there before. Well, that scene with Lord Haster is very short. It is. So and we just go back and forth. Yeah. So are we ready to jump in time a little bit? Five years later? Mm-hmm. I love David Tennant dressed up like Mary Poppins. Unreal. I mean, Fantastic. it's a really clear Mary Poppins reference with that parrot head. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and I was wondering, and it's been a really long time since I've seen Mary Poppins the the one with Julie Andrews, which what's with the Julie Andrews references in this? Hmm, this fair episode. enough. Um, but anyways, that song that he sings, the "Stay Awake, Don't Close Your Eyes" thing, is that the tune, the lullaby tune from Mary Poppins? Oh my gosh, I wonder if you're right. It certainly sounded familiar, but I did not have a beat on it. Oh, uh, I wonder. I need really need to go look that up. Yeah, that was that was funny. And Aziraphale as a gardener. Yeah, with the big teeth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which sort of gave me Pink Panther vibes. I don't know if like one of Peter Sellers' disguises, the oh, Pink Panther's yeah. disguises that are just so, you know, that often involve strange noses or big teeth or something yes. like that. Yeah. 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 
I really noticed the Crowley snake-like tendencies in this particular scene. I'm not sure why, Hmm. which made me wonder. Maybe he just, you know, pulled on his uh, character from Harry Potter. (laughs) You know he was in Harry Potter, right? I'm not remembering who he played. David Tennant? Yeah. He is in, which episode is that? I want to get the right one. Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. It's I'm in episode four or book four. Okay. Movie four. Goblet of Fire? Is Goblet, that Goblet of Fire. Fire. Yes. He plays the son of the, what is that guy's name? Here we go. Barty Crouch Jr. is who he plays. Okay. You know, and he's always like flicking his tongue and. Okay. Interesting. No, that that is one I don't remember well, but I should I should watch that again now that I like David Tennant so much. I'm not sure I really know <laughs> knew very much about David Tennant when I saw Goblet of Fire. Uh well, I don't think I did either. It wasn't really until I got into Doctor Who, which then of course Broadchurch and I saw mm-hmm. him in Hamlet and mm-hmm. um What's uh? What is that character's name? He's yeah. supposed to be a, a real Lothario. Starts with a C. Casanova. Oh, I saw him in Casanova. So yeah. Okay. But it was really, of course, Doctor Who as the tenth Doctor. Sure. But don't get me started because I we will go down. Okay. Deep, quite deep well. The speaking, hole. speaking of going down, mm-hmm. we come to the elevators that are appa- apparently the main entrance to heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. And Aziraphale, I have to think about it every time I say it. Mm-hmm. Aziraphale goes up, and Crowley goes down, mm-hmm. and so Lord Beelzebub, who has the flies all around mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. um. I was trying to look up, is is Lord of the Flies another name of the of a devil or anything like that? I, I could only find Lord of the Flies referring to the book Lord of the Flies. That's all I know that it refers okay. to. But I think because Beazelbub had a real Lord of the Flies <laughs> with all those flies buzzing around well you know flies are associated with decay Death, decay yeah. sure so i think that's probably why they use the flies okay i mean that would be my guess and then aziraphale talks to uriel sandalphon michael and gabriel mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. are those four angels up there yeah and I didn't look up Uriel, but it sounded familiar. Yeah. Michael and Gabriel, definite well, angels. I'm, I think Uriel is a archangel as well. I think you're right. And Sandalphon. Yeah, he's an archangel. I look, but not biblical, not not uh, in other Jewish and Christian writings. But uh, my understanding was not actually in the scripture. Huh. So I, I didn't that look that up at all. I didn't look that yeah. up at all. Anyway, I, that was the one that I really felt I hadn't heard before. Right, but definitely, definitely in the lore. Okay. 
Cool. I okay, we're like getting very Gabriel says climb every mountain <laughs> <laughs> and ford every stream. Yeah, yeah, that I'm glad you said that because we get sort of confirmation. Uh, Zirafal is very concerned because mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that's right. God loves mm-hmm. <laughs> God loves sound of music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so do I. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so so do you. Well, you're you're apparently in good company. So. Really curious as to why we needed a sign in hell that said, well, first of all, started with the word please. Wouldn't think (laughs) those sort of pleasantries would occur, but please don't lick the wall. Walls. No, don't (laughs) lick the wall. Did you see that sign? I didn't. It's right before we get introduced to the hellhound. Yeah, I didn't see that at all. Yeah, I was like, what the heck? Who's going around licking the wall? Anyway, <laughs> that should have been my trivia question. But yeah, my, actual, my actual trivia question is, okay. we have the room with the devil dog, the hellhound himself in it. Yeah. What is, what's the number of the room? I have no idea. 666? <laughs> you know what? I don't, th- I don't feel like it's a number that has any significance, but maybe it does. 2549. Okay. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's a Bible verse in there or something. You know, oh. chapter Indeed. 25, verse 49, or anything like that that refers to something. Anyway, that was my trivia question. Good one. Okay, so we're making progress here. Now we are now we are in the hellhound part of the episode. Yeah. And and Crawley and Aziraphale <laughs> still don't know they're they're mentoring the wrong boy. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, when you said that room, I'm like, well, that's I wonder if it has any meaning. And yes. I looked it up really quick. And so this is on Reddit, so take it with a grain of salt. Okay. This person too thought it must be more than just a random number they came up with. So something called Strong's Concordance, which I have absolutely no idea it says it's an index of all the words in the bible okay both greek and hebrew each word being assigned a number number 2549 of the greek words is wickedness or evil wow jeez that's a deep dive right there yeah there's a comment that says there are so many layers in this show i swear I'm like, oh my god yeah we couldn't agree more that's crazy i mean wow the research that mm-hmm. you have to do to find that out mm-hmm. yeah hey i mean number one that you even know there's something called strong's concordance yeah. Go find out something in the Bible that we can use for evil. Oh, let's look look at this number. Wow. Okay. Sorry. What I was delightfully <laughs> I was delightfully enchanted by Aziraphale <laughs> his his coin trick with Crowley. And Crowley oh, yes. was like, no, no, you can do literal magic. Why are you doing the human magic? You know, and yeah. poorly at that. And again, it just gives us how this angel and demon are so acclimated to mm-hmm. life on this earth. The things that, I be, because Crowley is not immune to it, right? He, right, he, right. 
he has the same motivation Aziraphale does. Mm-hmm. He wants to keep living on the earth. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, I just- their little bromance. It's so cute. Oh, it's it's adorable. It's adorable. <laughs> so yeah, magic at the yes at the kids' birthday party. Oh God, yes. <laughs> You're terrible. Everybody's yelling at him. <laughs> Those kids Painful, are awful, but, though. But Warlock ends up being completely happy because of the food fight, and yes. it feels like he's had the best birthday ever. <laughs> Have you ever been in a food fight? Ah, not really. Mm, I've been adjacent to food being thrown, but it was not really a food fight. It was an altercation. Mm. (laughs) Food fight is so good-natured. Yeah, yeah. It was at our junior or senior prom, and we were juniors. And so since I was class president, my parents were in charge of all the post-prom activities, and there was a huge breakfast I don't know, like at midnight or something like that in the school cafeteria. And some of the senior boys started a food fight. And I think it was the last breakfast they ever had. Boy, I believe it. That just sounds like such a mess to clean up. And since you said breakfast, my guess is pancakes and syrup were involved. Mm, Probably. Oh, my gosh. That sounds terrible. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the last breakfast they ever had but anybody from our my old high school can correct me if they know (laughs) (laughs) so crowley has quite a watch that he's looking at for the time that the that the hellhound is supposed to arrive and they see there is no hellhound in sight and Mm -hmm. that is of course because Adam is the Antichrist, not yes. Warlock. And they're mm-hmm. in the completely wrong place. And they've mm-hmm. been with the completely wrong boys. Yeah. But, uh, did you hear the guy on the radio say who he was? The guy who gives the directions, you know, no. to Crowley? No. He said he was Dagon, oh. Lord, uh, Lord of the Files. Oh, instead of Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I caught the Dagon, but I didn't catch the Lord of the Files. Thing. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. I did look up that name, though. <laughs> oh, please, uh, please again, lay it on like, me. Yeah. I did not. Well, supposedly Dagon is from ancient or is an ancient Syrian deity. So upper Euphrates area oh. considered oh father of gods and wow. associated with whoa, kinship, huh. which I thought was Interesting. However, I think the more important thing, it was also a name used by H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I think it's more probably more the Lovecraft thing. <laughs> nice connection. Nice yeah. connection. Yeah. So but I thought it was pretty ironic that the Hellhound... Do we see the Hellhound in this episode or is it the next one where we see the Hellhound? We- we definitely see him in this episode. We okay. see him before he is named and after he is named. Okay. Okay. I thought it was quite ironic that they made the Hellhound look like a Great Dane. Who are so nice. And, and have they're lazy as hell, right? Everybody <laughs> I know that's had a Great Dane, they're like, all they want to do is sleep. My own uh, brother's friends had a Great Dane and Tim said he walked in there one time and the dog was like on the couch laying on his back and his legs were just yeah. like flopped everywhere. 
apparently they make good apartment dogs yeah. except for their size because they really do not need much exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I was like my kind of dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My kind of dog. Anyways. And what was with the one kid's name? Isn't Wensleydale a cheese? That is what I was thinking. Here we have the them. Yes. Comprised of Pepper, who I love. Mm-hmm. Pepper is a real spitfire and I enjoy her greatly. Brian and Wensleydale. And if <laughs> Wensleydale isn't a cheese, maybe it's a sheep and a cheese. I I thought it was maybe a sheep. I, I got to look that up real quick. Uh, talk amongst yourselves. It's both a <laughs> cheese and a sheep. <laughs> okay. Well, this is why because... I know about it because I love... I don't. I often get this cheese with cranberries, and it's a Wensleydale. <laughs> Perfect. And I think I am more familiar with the sheep because I listen to some knitting podcasts, and they sometimes uh, get unprocessed wool, and it. sometimes it's Wensleydale. Oh. Now I'm looking at pictures of Wensleydale sheep. So they're and boy, don't they just look like completely typical sheep? Yeah, they're just sheep. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe they're even the most common sheep. I don't even know. I don't know. But well, they're a little bit Wensleydale sheep. Oh, they're considered a rare breed. So though they may look like the common sheep, they are not. uh, They are not the most prevalent. It's on the ri- it's on the at risk register with the Rare Breed Survival Trust. Wow. Oh wow. Huh. Holy cow. The okay. things we learn. Well, Doing you do not have podcast. to kill it. You do not have to kill a sheep in order to shear it. And in fact, I think they often can use the help. Oh yeah. Yeah. Though. So. Yeah. Okay. So yes, we have our first look at the Antichrist himself, and he looks fairly innocuous. We haven't seen too much sign of evil. He's definitely a leader, right, mm-hmm. of this gang, mm-hmm. but he seems to be a decent chap, and what 11-year-old wouldn't want a dog? Right. right. I don't know how many of them would name him dog, but Which, of course, was God-spelled backwards. Yes. <laughs> that's who he, that's what he chooses to yes. name his hellhound who comes from the woods and has played the role. And the, the hound was a little disappointed to hear that his master wanted a small dog, but he com- he complied. He did comply. He became a small little terrier, which yes. terriers, those little terriers, they can be little hellhounds. <laughs> but according to Best in Show, everyone loves a terrier. <laughs> oh, no. That little, that little no, song. I'm going to be singing that stupid song all night. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And we kind of finish off with Crowley knowing mm-hmm. that the naming has occurred. He mm-hmm. can just feel it in the air. Yep. And welcome to the he- end times. Yep. And the end for episode one. Such a good episode. Oh, fantastic. I re- I'm really enjoying this rewatch. Oh, me too. As I mentioned earlier, there's so much I don't remember. It's like watching a brand new series. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, for the next do you have episode. anything else to uh, to say about this one? Our next episode will be season one, episode two, the book. Yeah. No. 
Okay. Well, thanks for joining us today, everyone. And we hope to see you in our episode two episode. Bye. Wallowing in the Shallows is created and produced by the both of us. Edited by Mo. Wallowing in the Shallows Good Omen Season 1 Rewatch soundtrack is Waltz Number 2 from the Jazz Suite Number 2 by Dmitry Shostakovich on archive.org. You can send us feedback at witstvpod at gmail.com. That's W-I-T-S-T-V-P-O-D at gmail.com. Subscribe. And then subscribe. And then subscribe. Subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Like and subscribe.